0: Hello, everyone. Today, I am chatting with Melissa Perry, who was on the podcast a few months ago talking with us about baby sleep. Today, she is here to address toddler sleep. Melissa is the founder and lead sleep consultant at The Cradle Coach and The Cradle Coach Academy. She has received her certification as a Happiest Baby on the Block Educator and a Maternity and Baby Certified Sleep Consultant from the International Maternity and Parenting Institute. For over 10 years, she has helped entrepreneurs successfully launch their own businesses through The Cradle Coach Academy. I met Melissa a few years ago, well, not a few, I would say about eight years ago now when my oldest was born and I was having a horrific time (laughs) with her sleeping at night. And I have been in touch with her ever since. She has been immensely helpful. Even now with my fourth baby, when it comes to baby and toddler sleep, I actually had contacted her about two months ago now, because I was very lax with my fourth baby. I let her take naps whenever and it started eating at me in July uh, when she turned one and she backfired on me and just stopped sleeping altogether. And it was about time I got her on some sort of a loose schedule. So I had contacted Melissa and sure enough, she The first schedule she sends over to me, I started doing it and wouldn't you know, (laughs) she just starts sleeping properly. So it was amazing and Melissa is so down to earth and such an amazing person. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode, this podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Good morning, Melissa. We're excited to have you back for part two, where we talk about sleeping, but with toddlers now instead of babies. So thanks for coming on today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to dive into the world of toddlers and their mindsets and, uh, and helping them get them the best sleep possible. Yeah, I know. We got so... We're not sidetracked,
0: but we just kept talking and talking during that first episode with babies that we decided to split this up into two because I feel like they really truly are their own group. Like You have to really separate them because like you said, their mindsets are going to be a lot different. And there's a lot of tough things you deal with when it comes to toddlers and sleep.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the biggest thing when it comes to toddlers, is their personalities are in full blown mode, whereas babies, they're still so much in need of you as a mom and dad. You know, like they need our assistance, they need to walk through that. But now all of a sudden, you have these toddlers, and the sleep foundations are very much similar. But it is important to know, like now you're up against personality, and you're up against tantrums, and communication, and independence. And so we kind of take on a different idea and practice and process when it comes to working with toddler sleep.
0: Yes. I guess we could just dive in and start talking about, I know one of the big questions and one of the questions I always had was when do we start making that first transition from the one nap to the second nap? Because isn't it around like 15 months or so? How would you know, Like, what are the signs that they're ready to give up that? that second nap?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So we typically see the age range between 13 and 18 months, but more so 15 to 18. I I very rarely see a 12-month-old, I have seen it, but I very rarely see a 12-month-old needing to drop that two-nap to one-nap transition. But what you would look for is more of the, the desire to just be up, be awake and they're happy and their behavior is okay. And they can really last that length of time and still be okay as a child. Like they're still, their behavior isn't deal. You're not dealing with tantrums. You're not dealing with sassiness or talk back, anything like that. You really do find that they can last through it. And if you see that they can last for at least two weeks to four weeks, I typically say it's time to make that transition. You might also find that they just refuse nap altogether. So they might actually cry during that that nap that you're like continually trying to give and they just have no care or they might sleep for like 10 minutes and be up again and can continue on the rest of the day that way. So I always look for those signs of the behavior first, and then I'll go ahead and look and see, can they last that length of time Are they waking up continuously now in the night or are they having two short naps and they're fine? Like we can merge two short naps into one long nap and they can, they can handle that. So those are some of the signs that you're really going to look for, but do not look for them in a day period. You really want to kind of keep a little log at least two weeks out of what they're doing, how they're doing it and what their behavior is to really make that decision to transition them from two naps to one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's always such a trick. I've always found that to be so tricky with all of my kids too, is making that transition because you make it and then you're like, wait, oh, this isn't going well in the beginning. And then it just like, I don't know, it just like takes a week for everything to kind of settle down. And then it just becomes like this beautiful harmony of like nap you know, to being awake ratio. And you're like, Oh, we definitely needed to do this, (laughs) but it's kind of chaotic. I feel like for whatever reason, that transition is always pretty chaotic, like for us anyways.
1: Absolutely. And I think that the hardest part too, is that parents can suddenly feel like it's a disruption for their routine that they've had for the last few months with their child. And all of a sudden you had planned out, you know, the things you wanted to do throughout or maybe a play date in between naps or whatever. But all of a sudden, when you make this transition and you see how much more quality sleep your child's actually receiving, you can do so much more with that morning session and then maybe an afternoon playground session or whatever it is just to kind of wear them out a little bit more. And you'll find so much more value with your child's sleep and with your schedule as a parent.
0: Yes. Yes. And so can you kind of just tell us like at that age range of like, you know, 13 to 18 months, like how much sleep are they needing overnight and how much sleep are they typically needing during the day? I know every child is going to be slightly different, but what's the recommendation?
1: The recommendation for nighttime sleep around that age is about 11 hours. And then in the day, if they're getting about 11 hours as average, then you'll start to see maybe a two hour nap session if they're in one transition, or you might see you might even see up to three hours where you might have a one hour morning nap and a two hour afternoon nap. So I like to aim with our clients in this transition period for at least 11 to 12 hours at night. Not everyone's going to get a 12 hour sleep session for their toddler, but that's our goal. Let's see what they can do with what they're given. And then Mm -hmm. in the day, based on that amount of time that they're sleeping in the night, let's go ahead and see what they can do for nap time and, at least having an hour and a half to a three hour range for night for naptime sleep.
0: Yeah. So I know this kind of ties in as well. So if your child is all of a sudden waking up at like some horrific hour, like five (laughs) and you're like, Oh no, we can't do this dance right now. You know, either you're getting up early to work out or get things done before the kids wake up or, you know, but it's just not an hour that children should be awake. <laughs> right. So, so how do you deal with that? So say, you're, say you know, somebody has you know, their child waking up every day around 5 or 5.30. What are some of the reasons for that? And what are some things that they can try to get that toddler to sleep in longer?
1: Yeah, good question. And this is a very common situation. It happens during a transition. Um, so we always look at that nap time schedule, how much quality sleep the child's actually receiving, how quickly they go to bed and fall asleep at night is also part of those. That situation, meaning if they are going right down and you are putting your child down at seven o'clock and they're falling asleep in like five minutes and they are out, they are sleeping, and then they wake up around 5 a.m., well, that looks a little bit like an overtired child where we want to make sure that the naps are, they're gaining a little bit more time in the day. So instead of shifting your, your bedtime to a different time, like back or forth, That's fine to keep it where it is. Let's just make sure that they're getting a better quality nap sleep schedule because that's typically the signs uh, of an overtired child where they're waking up early in the morning. Now, the other part to it is, is that they might be getting too much sleep in the day. So greatest sign of a nap transition where they might've been sleeping you know, an hour and a half in the morning and maybe a two or three hour afternoon nap, which would be glorious. But at the same (laughs) time, we don't want that because all of a sudden it's invading in their nighttime sleep, which is causing the early morning waking. So in that's the case, we'll look at that nap schedule and kind of condense things. Let's cut it off to an hour um, morning nap and maybe an hour and a half, two hour afternoon nap, And start there and see if you can see any type of change up with that early morning waking. And if not, then you can go ahead and say, let's reduce the first nap and condense that to one large nap. And maybe a two to three hour nap is completely fine in the day. But then let's go ahead and see what they can do in the early morning. So you want to lay out the foundation first before you start implementing anything new in during those early morning hours. So if you've laid out the foundation, you ha- you see that the schedule is you know, pretty solid and you maybe transitioned to one long nap and they're taking great naps, then it's important to go ahead and say, okay, anything before 6 a.m. I have to view as a nighttime waking. And so you'll go in and actually work on sleep training during that time. Now, in this cycle of sleep for a child, this period of time is in their light cycle of sleep. So you're seeing that it's going to be a little bit more challenging. They're going to wake up because they hear noise more or they see the light through their the cracks of their windows. Whatever it is, make sure the room is still dark and make sure you still have your sound machine or fan on. But it's important to make sure that you as a parent are still implementing sleep training so that they can fall back asleep and not create a habitual waking that's causing them to wake up and stay up and start their day that way. And I know for
0: us, it was always kind of a combination of some things and it was always like that transition that was throwing us off. And so I was like, why is she getting up at five? But then we kind of like played around with the nap a little bit and it was like, Oh, okay. It was definitely that. And then I do find that my kids, even, even now when, I mean, they are really good sleepers, but you know, the sun has been rising really early and that Mm -hmm. transition I feel like is always difficult because we're used to like being these hermits during the winter where we have much less sunlight. And so yeah. you know we're going to bed. It's like pitch black, which is right. So, I love going to bed when it's pitch black, you know, and not with the sun still out. <laughs> like right, like to go to bed when the sun's still out. Right. You know, it's still dark when you wake up. You know, in the winter, and then you transition to this. This it's sunny when you go to bed. It's sunny when you wake up. And I think it can be hard for kids because, especially my son who's three now, he's like, "But mommy, it's still it's light out. I don't need to go to bed." Right. Yet. You know, it's confusing to them because they're like, "Wait, no, I usually go to bed when it's dark out." So I think, you know, it always takes us like a couple of weeks when that starts to change. Like, and we don't, we've never used blackout shades. I know that's a great option, but like, I've never wanted them to be like really like accustomed to that. So we just, you know, have like regular, regular old curtains there that the sun just shines right through. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, they, it, it does take a couple of weeks, but I do feel like they kind of find their way eventually. And we incorporated, and I don't know how you feel about this, but how do you feel about those, like the okay to wake clocks that, that keep them in bed. And then they kind of like start lighting up when it's time to get out of bed. Have you found that those have worked?
1: I love them. I just love them at certain age ranges. So I find that when you're, when they're under two or even under two and a half, it's hard for them to understand that concept. Like you can explain it, but at the same time, they have this independent idea and mindset that it almost like that doesn't matter unless you as a parent are really consistent. Yeah. If you're consistent, I see it winning when you're not consistent, it's a free for all. And so it doesn't yeah. really matter what you do. They're still seeing that they can cross the boundary. And that's the biggest thing when it comes to toddlers and their sleep is that they need to see a very clear boundary. They need to know the, what where they can go and what they can do and to what point. And even in our process as parents, but even in the room or in, in our their daily life, they need to see that no means no, and that your words matter. And that part of it transitions for them as security and safety. And that ultimately is what their heart and soul is, is like, they want that security, they want that safety to know that this is where I can go And up to this point. But everything else is very I know what's going to happen if if I try to cross over. So that's really important in the toddler mindset is like, we can sleep train and we can do all these things, you know, add the okay to wake clock, add darkening shades, do all the things that seem right. But when it comes to toddlers, it comes back to, do they feel safe? Do they feel heard? Do they feel like they know the line and that boundary, especially when you've made that transition from their crib, which is a very clear boundary to Mm -hmm. now their big boy, big girl bed with this open space, a little bit more independence and more communication. They still might struggle with communication, which is the frustration. And that's where tantrums can lie. But like in it, do they feel safe by you from the day so they can feel secure and confident in their sleep at night? It's, it's huge.
0: It is. And so since you brought that up, let's, let's go into that next. The transition, the dreaded transition from the crib (laughs) (laughs) to the toddler bed. And some people think I'm absolutely nuts because my kids don't transition out of their crib until later on. And it's just what what has worked for us. I have a lot of kids. I've had to make some really strict rules when it comes to sleep or else nobody would be sleeping. Really, truly, like, trust me, no one would be sleeping. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I mean, thankfully my two oldest girls actually loved their crib. And like you said, it's probably like a comfort thing and they never required any, like they just loved sleeping in their crib. I took them both out at maybe three and a half. Like they just loved it. Right. And it was more or less like my oldest was like, let's take Ellie out of her crib. And we, we transitioned her out. Like it wasn't even her just dis- like, she just, <laughs> she didn't care. But what are your suggestions for the transition to the toddler bed? Like, is there something that we can do to prep? Is there something we can do to get them really excited about it and to stay in their beds? I know that's a huge thing where my oldest had a really hard time staying in the bed. How can we, you know, what can we what can we do to get them to stay in there and not come out a hundred times once we've tucked them in? Because that's really difficult.
1: Yeah. So, okay. So this is, this is amazing because it really is about preparing them, preparing your heart as a parent, but also preparing their heart in this new changeup. And remember they want security, they want consistency, they want that routine. And all of a sudden they can either climb out or it's time to transition and it can feel a little bit like chaos, like just how you were feeling like, nope, I'm not ready to make this transition yet for him. I'm about to have the baby. I can't do that. That's what he feels too. And so it's really important to set the stage up. And what I like to do is about two weeks before you're really ready to make that transition, you are going to kind of give them some opportunities to make some decisions. So whether it's creating... You get to choose your bed sheets that you want, or you get to decide what pillowcase you want or whatever it is. You're giving them this opportunity to make a choice on their bed, right? Their sheets, their, their environment. So you're going to set the stage. The other part to it that I really enjoy is we want to fill their emotional needs up. So much, especially in these toddler years, in this trans- bigger transitions. Uh, so, when it comes to filling their emotional needs up. We can explain to them what they're about to see and feel by creating maybe a picture of the bed. Like, so if you have, a, you are buying their bed and say you're going to Pottery Barn and you found the bed that you're gonna you're gonna get them. Print that out and like literally show them for like two weeks. It sounds crazy, but children really understand and feel secure once they see pictures of what's happening. Right. Or say that they're getting ready to transition to daycare or to preschool, whatever it is, show them the preschool, mm-hmm. show them who their teacher is by printing it out. Like these, can, you can create a storyline in the day explaining to them so that they're almost prepared when it happens and so as you're doing this you're you're building their confidence and you're giving them that security so you're setting the stage for two weeks out you've gotten all the things you've created the room environment now you're ready to make that transition out And we want to keep that same bedtime routine, naptime routine as normal. As you normally had it, you almost don't want to make that much of a change and you don't want to add yourself into the process more so because of your own set of fears and uncertainty because they feed off that, right? Like they if you're in their bed and you're worried for them and you're all on them and you're cuddling them, which I love, love, love so much, but they are sensing like what's happening. You know, like this is different. This isn't what I expected before. So be consistent about your approach, be consistent about how you are handling your own emotions. And, and really they, they, because they feed off of that, they can start sensing, okay, I'm going to start, I'm not liking this. I'm not feeling that security. I'm not feeling that safety. I'm going to respond. And so all of a sudden, that's where the backtrack goes. And that's where new habits are formed. When they were sleeping through the night, all of a sudden, they might not now. And so it's really important to be consistent. Give them that that independence by letting them choose some books or letting them choose their sheets and then handling all that the same. But you still want to create a clear set boundary. And so in our mindset as parents, just like we had them in the crib and they had that clear boundary of the bars in the crib, now the room must be like a big crib, like visualize it as a big crib. The door might... You might not feel comfortable shutting the door, uh, but you might want to get a little, we call it a door monkey and you can get on Amazon and you can literally stick it up to the doors cracked, but there's still safety and security there. There's still a clear boundary. It might be a baby gate that you're attaching to the door. That's a very clear boundary. If your child can climb over it, the goal is to keep them safe. We don't want a two and a half year old running around aimlessly in the night into the kitchen or into the bathroom. We, Want safety and security, and they need to see that clear boundary like they've always had. So it feels weird. I know some parents are like, This is like jail for my kids if the door shut. But that's all they've ever known is this little jail cell in their crib and all of a sudden you're transitioning them to a bigger world and it's adjusting to the uncertainty of it. So we want to make sure that we're really wise with that, spending extra time in the day, filling their love tanks, filling their comfort levels, giving them that security and confidence, but also creating that clear set boundary for them so they know how far they can cross and when no means no.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So let's go into, let's see. So we talked about the transition. Oh, can we talk about the bedtime pass?
1: Yes. yes, yes. <laughs> this is always a fun one. Yeah. I
0: personally love this idea. This is yes. what I used for my first. And my second, you know, what's funny is it, it really goes to show you every child is going to, to be different and not, this won't work for every child, but this worked really, really well for our
1: first. Yeah, no, this is a good one. So it's all about the child, all about the personality. So it can work great for some, and it can work not at all for others. And so you dictate it based on what you think your child can do or try it out and see if it works. But basically what we want to do is if you have that child that has now transitioned into their own bed and they just keep asking you for one more thing. And it's like, they drag out bedtime so much and you're just finding like, okay, not another question, not another drink of water, not enough. You know, they are just constantly asking, asking, asking. We use what's called this bedtime pass. And so you can print it out I will go ahead and send Lindsay the link so you can go ahead and and print this out. So it's so easy. You print it, you can laminate it, you can have your child color it, you can create your own bedtime pass if you want, but you literally can hand one pass to them and they can either stick it under their pillow or they can put it in their sheets, whatever they want to do. But this pass allows them for one extra thing. So You've done your bedtime routine, you've given them all the love, all the confidence, all the security. You're saying good night, you've tucked them in, and this pass allows them for one more fit, whether it's another glass of water or another hug or whatever it is. But they can call out and say, I want to use the bedtime pass. And you literally, as a parent, grab the pass, do the thing, say good night, but that's it, they cannot ask for anything more. And as a parent, just like the okay to wake clock, you need to be consistent about it or it doesn't work. So you take the past away the rest of the night, they can't really call out unless obviously there's an emergency and you'll know the difference as a parent, but you they you can't, you know, go back to them. You have to be consistent in your sleep training process if that's the case. This allows them almost this ownership right? They have this role of putting on this capability and this gives them that opportunity to say, Hey, I want one more. Most of the time, guess what? They save it. They don't use it. They keep it. They're like, this is fun. This is something that I get. I almost have like this upper hand in and it really does give them this confidence. And so we love it. Now, some kids, I, I, I have three kids. My middle guy. Yeah. Right. There was no chance. He was going to (laughs) continue to ask me, but that's his personality. You know, like I know that ahead of time that that was never going to work. I tried it, but it was never going to be consistent because he's wants more. He always wants another hug, another kiss, another love, but that's his little routine for bedtime. My daughter loved it. Like it was like one time used it, thought it was like the greatest tool. And slept through the night easily. So it's really about empowering them, but give, tell them, explain to them what this past can do and th- what, what you are going to do once you have, uh, they've asked the question, you've done it as a parent, you take it away and then they can receive it again tomorrow night, the same exact way. It's part of your bedtime routine.
0: Now, what happens when they start to abuse it? Does that just mean that this particular method won't work with that child and try something different? Like, I know I've had some people try this and say, mm, I don't know. I mean, my kid just keeps trying, you know, some days it'll work, but then sometimes they'll just try to use it three times, you know, they won't even have the physical pass. They'll just be like, well, I just needed to use another bedtime, pad. <laughs> you know, whatever. They'll even make another one, you know.
1: Right. Yes it doesn't, it doesn't always work for every kid. So like my, my middle guy, he literally is one of those kids that, like I said, just ask and ask and ask, and he needs me every time to tuck him in. He needs me to like, say the last good night. And so some kids are going to give you a little bit more run for your money. That doesn't always mean like, okay, this method doesn't work, but as the role of a parent during these times, it's really important to make sure we say no and give them a no. And so when, when you've done all the things and you have created this consistency in the routine of their sleep and they're in their environment, they've given, you've given them all their fulfillment of the day. And you know, it's dragging on for just, them to drag it on a little bit more, then it's really important that we say no and then step out of the room. Now, when when that happens, you're going to find that they're going to give you a little bit more of a battle. That's where the crying can start. That's where even like I've had some some of my friends who've had their kids who like literally will continue to ask, ask, ask. They have to literally stay out of the room, shut the door, and sometimes lock it because the child does not understand in the beginning mm-hmm. what no means. And so it's not fun to do this. It's never fun. It's part of parenting sometimes, but. It's really important that they see what that means so that if you say yes to everything and you're saying continually saying yes to those little moments of of the exaggerated bedtime then you're going to find you're dealing with it for months to years on end. You know, and that doesn't just stop at bedtime. That that continues on throughout the night. That actually continues in through the naps and it also continues on through the behavior and responses throughout the day. And so really it's important as as parents, I mean, this is like a parenting thing, which is, like I said, not fun to say no to our kids all the time. But sometimes as our role as a parent, we do have to do that. And so it's important that we really stay consistent when we say enough's enough, that we have to follow through with that action. And and that means it might mean to start introducing the sleep training process which you don't have to do a lot again like we talked about that with babies you're kind of going back to those foundational principles of saying hey let's let's gradually reduce ourselves out of the room let's gradually do check-ins and you know maybe stay in the room for 10, 20 seconds on end and then step out, depending on your child's personality, doesn't mean you have to shut the door and lock it. That's actually the last thing you want to do. But what we want to do is make sure that all the needs, the foundations have been met, the love tank and the emotion has been all instilled in the day and consistent. But then our response has to be consistent when we say, okay, enough's enough. Now it's time I step out of the equation and let's work on the habits of sleep training so that they feel that security.
0: Yeah, I love that. So there's so many different things I want to jump to, jump around to here. A lot of people struggle with this, and so say when when their child was a baby, they either co slept or you know they laid down with their baby to fall asleep, even if it was in their own room. How? I know this is going to be a difficult process, but how at age two, age three, I had a lot of people asking, you know, around age three, I still lay with my, with my child until they fall asleep. And I'm really trying to break that habit. How can I go about doing that?
1: Yeah, that's, that's very common. Even if even if it's like they were sleeping, they might've been co-sleeping up until three years old and then they're making that transition or they were sleeping perfectly. And then they make this transition where all of a sudden they get stuck in this new habit of sleeping with their child just because it's cozy, comfortable. You're reading a story, you're saying good night and you're there. You know, it's, it's a little bit more comforting in that way. But what we want to do is to make sure that the approach that of sleep training is very gradual. And so as you're instilling all these great principles in the day, you are your one and ultimate goal for like the first three nights. We, I love using this method. It's called the sleep lady, sleep shuffle. And you, for the first three nights are the goal is to not sit in your child's bed. So as the parent, I'm going to bring in a chair, I'm going to sit next to the bed, but I'm not going to sleep on or in the bed. So for three nights, my whole goal is to just sit in the chair and to minimize the talking and discussion. So. As toddlers, they're talking, 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 asking questions, even when you're there. And our job is to almost limit that to one or two responses every few you know, minutes to seconds to whatever you need. It's not about partaking into it or else you're gonna get stuck doing it. So we're gonna minimize what our discussion and our responses are. We're gonna almost, I hate to say ignore them, but that's almost how you want to portray yourself as in it's time to go to sleep. Mommy's right here. And it's calm, boring, and not up for discussion. I'm not getting into <laughs> this discussion. So you do that for three nights. Stay there. Do not get into the bed. Make it your goal until they fall asleep. Come back. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. Now, all of set in three nights passes, and you're going to set Farther away. And in that, with the chair, you're going to maybe be in the middle of the room or by the door. Now you're building the confidence and you're doing all the things in the day just as you have been. But now all of a sudden, for three more nights, you're just going to stay in the chair and you're not going to say anything to them except maybe shush, shh, I'm right here, or whatever it is. Very, very, very minimal. Then you continue on to being outside the room and you still have the clear boundary. You still have the routine. Now you've prepared them for a week or longer to really know what the, what the process looks like. And mom's not going to be in the bed or dad's not going to be in the bed. So they feel more confident, even if they wake up in the middle of the night and they, you have an older child that comes to your room. My goal always for my clients is to walk them back saying nothing, put them back in, find that chair wherever it was, and you will sit right back into that same position, continually doing it. Now, if you're finding you've done this now for like, 10 to 14 days and consistency has happened and you're still seeing that your child's getting out of the bed and it's just constant. That's what I'm saying about the boundary line. There's confusion there for them. So you need to make sure that there's a very clear boundary and the room now is a big crib. So we want to make sure that they know they can't get out because it's not time for that or it's not safety for them. We want their sleep and we want them to feel secure in their environment. And sometimes that line, that boundary line is what needs to happen in order to make it happen. So you can do all this. This is a gradual process. You can give them a reward chart. You can do, um, there's so many different things out there to be able to do. You can incorporate this with the bedtime pass. You can do all the things, but really it goes back to us as parents saying no, when it needs to be said, and then following through with that in our response and in our action.
0: Yeah. Because the second you do it for a couple of days and then you give in on day four, oh, yeah. <laughs> they'll know that, oh, I can do this for four days. And on the fifth day, my mom will come in here and she'll sleep with me. So, <laughs> you know, exactly,
1: exactly. They just know what they're doing and they're smart, but they, they're always fed by our responses as parents, you know? So yeah. Think through that when you're making it, it, it's night four done, like good or bad, it becomes the habit.
0: Yep, exactly. What about if, okay, so what about, you know, if you're if your three-year-old is in a big bed and comes in, makes a habit of coming in every night at like two or three, I know that's really common as well.
1: Yep. Yeah. You can have the best bedtime process and routine. They fall asleep on their own they've done all that. And all of a sudden they wake up and you're like, okay, great. Like I'm up now, you know? So first and foremost, we want to make sure that they don't think this is time to wake up and stay awake. Cause sometimes that can happen where they start thinking it's time to party and let's, it's time to be up that. I always say, make sure that the nap schedule is still in play and that they're taking good quality naps, but maybe it's also important to look to see how much they're sleeping. So some kids, Especially, I find when they're in daycares or preschools and they they have to have a nap, they are taking these long stretch sessions. Mm-hmm. But it can invade in the middle of the night waking. So you might want to condense that to a, a max of two hours, and then make sure that they are still being able to sleep well throughout the night. T- to lay out the foundation, just as a as a little pro tip. Second yeah. thing that you're, it's really important to do as as parents, like. If they come into the room, I, I always say, walk them back. Like I said, do not say anything. Like you walk them back, almost saying like holding their hand, walking them in, tucking them in, saying good night and stepping out. If they get into the process again of stepping out into your room and it's becoming this thing, that's where the boundary line needs to meet. Now, some parents, I think one of the biggest struggles is that for some parents who are literally sleeping and your child sneaks into your room and either like just gets into bed and you are so tired or you're not even aware that they're in there. Uh, that can be the hardest thing because now it's just part of their routine to move into your room at some point. And then from that point on they're they're either kicking, rolling, hitting you in their sleep, whatever it is. And so everyone's sleep is disrupted. So I like to do a little thing where I put bells on, like almost like Christmas bells on a parent's doorknob. And so the moment, like on the back end of the doorknob, so the moment the child Opens the door, they hear parents hear that little bell, and that is a trigger for them to say, Wait a minute, I need to respond here Mm. in this parenting role and get them up before they almost sneak in and walk them back, put them back in, say goodnight, and step out that's really important. We also love to add and incorporate date days. So would they get the choice if they stay in their beds all night long for seven to 14 days, whichever, however you want to go about it. I like seven as a minimum, but if they stay in there for seven days, then they get to choose a little date so specific to them and either one parent or both parents. So they get the full on attention. They feel that that win for themselves. And that, that's a fun thing to experience. They get to choose what they want to do. Some parents love to add in a toy if they want to go get a toy, or if they want to uh, go get ice cream or something special. But they get that choice, and I know it's, it feels like okay. That's if I have like multiple kids, like you. You have four kids. Mm-hmm. How can I give that one child? This is specific for them during this period of time, you know. And so make it fun for them. Let them choose this. Create a little sticker chart and that they can draw and and make fun, add stickers to do whatever and put it on their door. So they're almost, or next to their bed. So they're almost reminded of the goal, you know, and remind them of that in the bedtime routine, just to continue on. And, and then in the mornings, be proud of them. They want that. Even if it was like, you know, they had a hard time falling asleep or whatnot, like they want that feeling and desire to be appreciated in those moments and those are big things for toddlers so be really uh, appreciative of of those special times during that those during those transitions or when they are they're backtracking a little bit focus in on it and and know also like some parents always say to us as our clients they're always like oh, i thought they would get out of this by now or I thought that they would just fall asleep on their own. They don't, uh, honestly, they do. I mean, sometimes they do, but like for the most part, they learn this new habit and it's stuck for, it could be years. So making sure that we're really intentional and we're really planned out, we plan everything out, we communicate that with our children and then we follow through with it.
0: Yeah, it can be really hard. So let's transition a little bit to another topic I wanted to talk about. When your child drops all the naps, like for us, I think that usually happened around age four or so. I really try to nap them as long as possible because I mean, even adults need a nap, right? Sometimes. Uh So I feel like really trying to incorporate that. And then once they weren't really sleeping, when I put them, like even my almost four year old is still taking a nap, but some days he'll, he'll take a nap like once every other day or once every three days. Isn't that weird? So like he'll he'll get to the point where he's inconsolable in the afternoon. I'm like, oh, it's nap time today, you know, and he'll go down for three hours. But I have found that he doesn't need it every day. And so we'll still incorporate on most days like a quiet time. And we have him in the crib still. And so the quiet time is he brings in, you know, Legos or whatever he wants to play with. And sometimes he'll fall asleep and sometimes he won't with quiet time for those that have an open space without clear set boundaries. How do you, how have you tried to incorporate like quiet time for kids?
1: Yeah. I love that you, uh, first of all, made a note of that about your own signs. Like uh, some days he needs it, some days he doesn't. And that really is part of it. He he is, when you start to see that transition, you, that's exactly the sign you see that some days he does some days they don't. And you almost just still play with that a little bit, you know, and, and go with it. And so on quiet time days, or when your child has completely dropped that nap, I like to have an hour set time. Now you can always add to this. You can maybe set off, start off with like 30 minutes and go from there. But we want to add in a timer. We want them to maybe see the, okay, the wait clock. That's a great little tool we use for the quiet time periods or just a timer on your microwave or your your oven that, that dings when it's time, the quiet time's over. But you are going to show your child, hey, I'm setting the, the timer for one hour and you have independent play. This independent play does not involve mom and dad. It's independent. It is Solely their time to play with something that will not be disruptive. It will not be something where you're concerned about. You know, this is here's quiet puzzles, books. Maybe it is like a Lego set, whatever you feel comfortable giving that your child is safe with in their space with the door shut, the lights can be on, the windows can be open. That is completely fine. But you are giving them some independent time where they are not interacting with you or anybody else, another sibling, nothing. You're separating all the children and you're giving them this time to just play. This is recharging their bodies. It's calming their little spirits and kind of, it does give them what they need to get through the next half of the day. So I like it after lunch. I like it where it's, still in that time where they were napping before, because you know what, sometimes they exhaust themselves during this little period and they fall asleep. And that's great. That's a win, you know? So they have this set time, but do it every single day and make sure that when you follow through with it every single day, you're doing the exact thing every day. They don't have to play with the exact thing, but your process, just like it was with the naptime routine or bedtime routine is the exact same. So they know what's expected of them. They know that they're not going to be able to ask for a snack or a drink a hundred times during that time. It is a very consistent and that, that is a time for them to recharge and have their own play time.
0: Yeah. I just, I have found that it's just hugely helpful just for them to have that independence of playing by themselves. It's just, it's really huge. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to, let's see, we have about 10 more minutes. I want to talk about night terrors. Just kind of, I have no experience with this, but I have had a few friends ask me here and there and I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. I can't help you at all. But do you have any advice as far as why they might be happening and what to do when they are happening?
1: Yes. So night terrors can happen. There there are some studies recently showing uh, that they are happening as early as six to nine months. Oh, which wow. is, is, I know, it, it makes you really think about what you're doing in the day or what they're being fed into their little brains that are causing that idea. Maybe it, it's part of the separation anxieties stages or new milestones that are being given, but you will see it heavily around 18 months and on. And so they can communicate it a little bit better. And there's a difference between a night terror and a nightmare. And so first and foremost, we're going to find that night terrors really are exaggerated. They don't remember it while you're comforting them. They almost are uncontrollable. They they just don't get comfortable comforted by you being there and so you a mom can literally run in and hug their child and and be there and they're still like slashing and just crying mm-hmm. and screaming and there's not there's no control. And so what studies have found is that there's a few factors that can lead to these more so night terrors than anything else and that is the nutrition. So a lot more processed food and sugar intake is actually being given mm-hmm. when these toddlers and preschoolers are on the move. I mean, parents are running around from play date to play date or, or doing all these extra things with them to keep them stimulated and active, but yet they're grabbing quick snacks Mm. and they're grabbing things that are filled with those nutrients that they need. And so it's a little bit more sugar intake. There's a little bit more juice being offered. So I always say, really be mindful of the foods you're giving your children to combat that sugar intake. The second thing is, is iPads and The TV shows, those are actually being watched more. And so they're being handed to them more often than they were when they were babies, obviously. So Mm -hmm. this is a time to limit simulation two hours prior to their bedtime or their nap time. And so think about that. How much are they, they receiving? I remember hearing a client once telling me that her child was literally having nightmares over, the puppy dog pals, like the little puppy dog, and you're like, this is nothing. What? It's like the sweetest show. How? How is this? Ha- how is this happening? And it, it could be little things for our child to hear, absorb, and feel unsafe with. So all of a sudden, you're seeing that mindset. You seeing? You're seeing that stimulation be occur during these sleeping periods of time where they just have more fears and the terror is real and exaggerated. So it could seem like nothing, but to them in their world, it's everything. So it's really important to be aware of how much stimulation they're receiving when it comes to technology. So that's huge. And then the third thing is, is making sure that we're giving them enough of our attention in the day. So we're busy parents, especially moms who are working and who are doing all the things right now. Like we're busy and we have, we might have our phones in our hands and we might have, our computers on, typing away, working, you know, at home. And especially after this last year, like we're doing all the things still, and yet we're not having focused attention with our child in their room and in their space. Mm. So I really am big on, making sure our clients are going into their their child's room giving them extra attention and not just 15 minutes before bedtime or nap time this is during the day this is during mm-hmm. not a quiet time this is during the time that they might have just gone up they had breakfast and let's go in your room and just have some fun playtime mm-hmm. have a dance party have I love doing games with them where it allows them to see that mom and dad are not there in that moment, like hide and go seek or peekaboo or whatnot, like whatever it is that they feel that they're, they know mom and dad are coming back to, it creates that safety and security and it calms their mindset, calms their hearts down so that when it's time to go to sleep, they're not revved up on all the things from the day, you know? So night terrors are so real and it happens and it when it happens, you'll never forget them as a parent. I mean, it's, it's heart wrenching, but we can do a lot of things to help combat those if it continues on after that i always say to go talk to your pediatrician you know there's there can be other factors associated with that but giving them a good foundation of the day and not just for one day this is a consistency of you know 2 to 3 weeks and and seeing the results of what that can happen and what that can lead to that is usually how to prevent them
0: yeah that's great is there anything When it comes to toddler sleep, um, sleeping habits that you think we might have missed, that would be something that would be great to mention here to
1: add in. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing when it comes to toddlers and sleep training or breaking some of those habits that have occurred is when they get off track, which they can, whether sickness, whether new transitions, school, even going in from COVID to Mm -hmm. now all the things that they've been walking through this past year, it's really important that we're giving more attention to those details of their routines, that they need that so badly to to get them back on track, that we as parents have to be very intentional with our time with them. And, And it's really important to make sure that they are being known, seen, and heard. And ultimately, that's what they want. And they might want it. When a new baby comes and all of a sudden they're waking up at 2 a.m. because they want that, they want to be part of it or they want that attention where they didn't have, they have it with this new transition. So whenever those things happen, I always say like, go back and, and look at the day, look at their routine, get them back on track and be really consistent for that 2 week period so that you can see what their needs are because sometimes they can't voice those they can't communicate well with us and we're reading into it way too much sometimes like as parents we can overanalyze it and we're just like they're just like I just want you I just yeah. want your time I just want the, this new transition this feels a lot for me and it, they don't know how to voice that other than the the, the dramatics, you know, or the constant wake ups. So go back to their day. What is different what new babysitter you might have. Maybe it's a new, like dad now was home the whole entire time during COVID. And now it has to go back to work. Those are big deal mm-hmm. things for children where as a parent, we just kind of think, Oh, it's just life, you know, but that is big for them. So going back to really focus in on what new changes have been made, where can I, as a parent, be really consistent and create this love and emotional strength for them so that they can use that in the day to build into their sleep at night. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. All right.
0: So I think we'll end. I already asked you my, my questions that I ask everybody. Is there any, new? I <laughs> I love it. any new meals you've been loving lately?
1: No, any what? I'm sorry. Any new meals that you've been making lately? Meals. Oh, okay. So you and this—I what was it? The what was the meal oh, you said? Broccoli,
0: chicken, ranch, skillet thing. Yes. <laughs> yes.
1: Okay. So I took that, and I was like man, I need to up my meal game. Like I, my, I you said that the other day. I was like, um, okay, my meals are so boring and my kids are probably so bored of them. So I have been actually trying a few new things. I love my air fryer. So I've been doing a ton of new like teasers in that mm-hmm. just to kind of test this stuff out. But I have been doing, and my husband's been doing, this sourdough bread making that's so easy. Don't it, does it You don't need a bread machine. It is Ooh. literally the easiest thing. And we've been doing homemade barbecue chicken pizzas. And it has been my go-to recently. And it's so easy. You grill up some chicken. We make fresh dough with this sourdough bread and we are like the kids love it they love making it themselves they love adding to it we are sneaking in some of like spinach and we're sneaking in some red peppers and and some onion red onions and it's delicious you're so gonna to to send me that recipe. I will. It's so so good, so easy. It's a Trader Joe's barbecue sauce, and it is yummy. So that's been my go-to. I mean, you really up my game recently. So I I had to I had to try something different. These poor kids are eating beans and rice.
0: <laughs> well, you know what? It's funny. I was just talking about this with a neighbor. I was like. I fall into these ruts, right? It's like for a couple of months, I just do the same things over and over again. Because you know what? Mm-hmm. Having to think about picking up different ingredients from the store is a lot of... Brain it takes a lot of brain capacity to do that, right? You have to like really think it through, write it down. Okay, I I don't need to get the typical items I usually get. I am going to venture outside of that and get other items. And it's just it's a lot for me for whatever reason. And so then I'll go back into like for a couple months. I'll be trying a new recipe every week, and I am like really into it. And then I'll just fall back into my old ways. (laughs) Right, right. So that's the problem, but. I really love finding new things that we love and then I'll put them into, you know, our like a recipe book and then when I'm feeling adventurous, I'm like, "Ooh, we really liked this. I need to I should make this again."
1: But yes, it's so hard. Oh, it's so hard. I have a friend who who maps out like her, a calendar of meals a month. So she goes by a month. Oh my month, gosh. And she what she'll do is she'll try one new meal a week, like on a Monday. And everything leading up to the rest of the week is kind of the consistency aspect, but she's really focused in on trying the one meal. And if they love it, they use it for like the next, like literally it takes that same calendar and might move it over one or two meals different, but like based off of that one month, I'm like, I don't have it in me. Like that's so not my, my mindset or my wheelhouse. I am a day to day. What do I have in my kitchen right now? Go kind of deal. But She, she finds that that's how she can really capture a new recipe for her family. And it, I think it's amazing if you have that, if you have that capability.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. I have tried doing meal planning and and you know like writing it all out at the beginning of the week. I, I last like two weeks and I'm like this is
1: for the birds. <laughs> I need <even> to <laughs> just.
0: <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> I work way better under pressure personally, and you know I am a planner. Like I like like to plan out my day, but when it comes to like meal planning and like other things, I just kind of just let it ride. And like when the I day know. comes, I'm like, okay, let's do this. And then I function really well under the pressure, but oh, I don't yeah. function well when I'm like putting it all together on a Sunday. It overwhelms me. I don't know. It's just like such a weird. 100%. 100%. hundred <laughs> percent,
1: And especially if you're adding in like, so my husband and I also own a gym and we're all about like nu- nutrition and health and like, you know, all these different factors. And all of a sudden I'm trying to incorporate those like, dietary issues and adding it in with the family. Like that, that is like where I just get, I just get shut down, you know? And so it's really important to like, do what you can do as a parent and you can do as a mom and don't worry about anyone else's stuff, but Hey, try, try some new things when you have the time. And when you feel that excitement for something new. Yeah. Yeah. I love that advice.
0: All right, Melissa. Thank you. Thank you for joining yes. us
1: yet again. It was so fun <laughs> to Thanks answer for having me. I all love of it. sleep questions. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much, and enjoy it. I hope you guys can learn a few new things to add to your your family and help them help your children get the best sleep possible.
0: Yes, and oh, I'll mention really quick too before we go. I didn't mention this the last time on here, but I have a coupon code in my podcast show notes that's over on my blog. And it has a coupon code. If you are in search of a sleep expert, like Melissa to help you with your situations at home. So I will put that into the show notes for everybody.
1: Perfect. All right. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you. Bye.
0: Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun.